passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. (laughs) Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Hello and welcome in to the Fog.net podcast. My name is Michael Swain, the Kansas beat writer for 24-7 Sports. Joined this Sunday evening like I am joined every Sunday during the football season by Kevin Flaherty. Kevin, a little later today, we're doing a little Sunday evening podcast, but how's the Sunday and weekend been for you? You know, it, it's been going pretty well. I've got this weird thing with my hands, though. It, it's something I... I picked up over the weekend, you know, and I'm not sure if the viewers can see it, but this one hand, it, it's kind of stuck like in this motion right here. And, and the other one, it, it's like that. And so, you know, one hand is just stuck on the five, the other's on the circle. And it, no, it, it's, uh, it, it's kind of funny because we were talking before we started the podcast about how when we started this, we, we thought that, there would be improvement this year, right? And we thought that this podcast would would give us a chance to to sleep on Saturday's game and come in the next day after you know a lot of times rewatching it, having a chance to actually sort of you know stomach what we saw and, and go on from there. Maybe highlight some areas for improvement where we saw them and things like that. I don't think either of us believed we would be sitting here on a Sunday five weeks into the season, five Kansas wins into the season Hmm. and preparing for a week where a certain special somebody is going to be coming to the university of Kansas campus, you know, for, for the game against TCU next week. Yeah. It's a, it's a crazy time. And for KU fans, probably pretty exciting, right? You you think about the last 13 years. I mean, we're at the point now where every game it's first time since 2009, first time since 2009. And once you start getting into the first time since 2007, that's when you're really going to hit it. But for the time being, it's exciting and it's fun to watch and it's fun to cover um, as someone that, you know, is a beat writer on the team and covering the team. And, you know, the season goes by so fast when it's a successful team because you look forward to the media availabilities during the week. You look forward to the games on the weekend. You look forward to covering the game on a Saturday and Sunday evening. And, I can't believe we're already heading into week six. It's just beyond me. And it's been so fun to watch, but we'll hit some game day stuff later. Um, We'll give our predictions for who's (laughs) going to be the game day guest picker. Um, Good list you can pick from. Good list to pick from. Um, But let's start talking about the game, Kevin. 14-11, KU beats Iowa State. Ugly game. Lance Leipold joked about it after the game. Kind of a reporter mentioned that, oh, yeah, ugly game. And Lance like, oh, was it? Um, being sarcastic and you can, when you just won a a game like that and a game that I I think it's one of those where Iowa state lost it. And it's, uh, and that's okay. It's okay to admit that too, because for a long time, luck has not been on KU side. And this was one of those times when 
luck was on KU side, 100%. And I think back to maybe 2019, that Texas Tech game a little bit, yep. where I with the missed field goal and, and how it worked out. I think it was a little bit like that, just a little bit of luck. And that's what you need in college football sometimes, right? You're dealing with 18 to 22-year-olds and, you know, crazy things happen and crazy things happened on Saturday for sure. Yeah, and I think too, you know, and we've we've talked about this, but we've seen Kansas lose this game too. Oh, yeah. Like we, over the last 12 or 13 years, we've seen Kansas put itself into position where you're looking at it and saying – things aren't quite going right. You know, things are, you know, the other team is, is hanging around. Maybe you're still playing well. Uh, but at the same time, you're not pulling away as much as you should. And, and next thing you know, you're headed home with a loss where you're saying, well, gosh, if this went different or that went different, you know, maybe, maybe things are, you know, maybe things are different. Obviously, you know, the, the story about, um, that Lance Leipold told about, you know, basically they're applauding me for, for playing a team close, you know, that yeah. we've, got to, we've got to change that as opposed to, as opposed to getting a win. You think about like the Oklahoma game last year in particular, you know, Kansas plays well, didn't put Oklahoma away, even with how well they were playing. And it winds up being a game that even a couple weeks later, people are like, well, gosh, if Caleb Williams just didn't pull that ball away, you know, KU wins it. And, and you wind up with the the whole ifs and buts or candy and nuts. Mm-hmm. We'd all have a very Merry Christmas. And and this is, and this is one where, you know, the, the ifs and buts went Kansas's way. And credit to, credit to Kansas, too, because, you know, it was a game that was there for the taking. And, and also one that was there for the losing, and Kansas didn't lose it. So there's yeah. some credit on that one too. Exactly right. And I think we have to talk about this game. I think chronologically, usually we take a big picture look at it and kind of talk about the big, the big themes and storylines. But this was a game that had so many ebbs and flows and twists and turns. It was a little bit like that West Virginia game almost, right? Yeah. Where, you know, first few minutes you're thinking one thing, and then a few minutes later you're thinking the other thing, and then it just keeps going back and forth. And this is one of those games. You look at the first couple drives, I thought we were in for a barn burner. You know, you look at the way the two teams are moving the ball outside of, you know, some penalties or a sack kind of uh, stalling their first drives. But I just was looking at that those first few minutes thinking, wow, these offenses came to play. And we'll talk about adjustments that were made a little bit later. But I think just, Kevin, for you, like what stood out to you during the first few minutes? Because for me, I looked at Iowa State and said, wow, they're really going after KU's corners on the outside. And Hunter Deckers is throwing a lot early on. And the running game wasn't really going. And Iowa State's lead running back, Jairo Brock, um, got banged up and didn't play a bunch. And then they had to rely on Deion Silas, who's an undersized running back, and Eli Sanders, who's unproven. So that stood out to me that they were throwing the ball a lot. And I think for KU was they were kind of moving the ball and getting what they wanted. It was a lot of play action, I thought. You know, the pass to Jared Casey was an example of that. Um, I just thought that KU came out with a really good game plan. I liked Iowa State's game plan, but I thought in the moment to start the game, that KU's game plan was going to be more sustainable than Iowa State's. Yeah, I think so too. And, and I think, you know, coaches call that the the scripted portion mm. of the game because they come in with, you know, this list of plays that they're going to run for however many plays. Different coaches have different lengths on their script before they start going off script and calling a game, you know, more organically by, by what they're seeing. Iowa State wanted to come out and they wanted to test the physicality of Kansas's defensive backs. Can these guys get off blocks and make a tackle? The other thing that I think they were testing was to see Kansas's sort of lateral speed. When when you look at previous Kansas defenses, to be kind about it, they didn't run very well. And you know when people would throw those little bubble screens or, or when they would throw just you know the quick hey we've we've got three guys out here against your two, Kansas didn't rally out there Mm. quickly, you know? And so a lot of times that led to bigger plays. It made Kansas get guys out of the box and then teams were able to run the ball. And I know this isn't an Iowa state podcast, but one of the things I've been a little surprised by is I I do think Hunter Deckers is is a pretty good runner. You know, he's got some physicality to him and, and so I think that one of the things that I was a little surprised by was 
I thought Iowa State could have created some numbers advantages as well by including him in a little bit more quarterback run game, you know, doing some zone read. But they haven't done that that much this year coming in. But if you looked at, like, what Iowa State was doing and what Kansas was doing, and this is to your point, Kansas looked a lot more like Kansas with what it was doing than Iowa State looked like Iowa State. Like, Iowa State felt like it was playing outside of itself For sure. to throw the ball that much. And that's why I think it, it felt like it wasn't as sustainable. Whereas Kansas, you're like, well, okay, this is what Kansas likes to do. This is what they've been doing. It was a good script, but at the same time, it felt like, okay, which of these teams is going to be able to still do this in the third quarter? You felt like maybe that was Kansas. Exactly. And I think you saw the success in the first half. Now, I, you know, you take advantage of you know, a really poor interception from Hunter Deckers, a really incredible yeah. – interception from Jacoby Bryant or Kobe Bryant. And you get better at that. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I just look at him making big time plays. And this is something that Caroline Soro and I talked about in our kind of post game rap video podcast deal after the game was whenever KU needs a big play, Jacoby Bryant is there and he tends to make it. And we'll talk about his play later in the game, but then you take advantage of kind of that, that short field. And that's what you have to do against Iowa state. Yeah. Iowa state's a team that, is hard to drive against consistently. Yep. So you, if they give you the ball that close to the end zone, you have to punch it in for a touchdown. If you get a field goal there, you're that, you know, obviously you're losing the game in hindsight, but like just in terms of feeling, you're feeling, wow, that's a huge missed opportunity. And so I look at early on, KU was able to move the ball and having success. You look at the first half numbers, you know, KU averaged six and a half yards of play, which yeah. is really stinking good. And that's what you want out of your offense. You know, obviously it's not certain some of the numbers that they had earlier in the season against like West Virginia or Houston, but those defenses are not, are not as good as Iowa State's. If you average six and a half yards per play against this Iowa State defense for a whole game, that's incredibly impressive, incredibly impressive. And so you look at halftime, right, 14 to eight, you're kind of feeling, all right, KU should probably be up by more. And if yeah. they aren't, they need to come out because remember, they get the ball out in the, to start the second half. They need to come out and score immediately to try and not put the game away, but put it in a spot where then all of a sudden Iowa State really has to press. And golly, you mentioned Hunter Deckers. Like, I'm a big Hunter Deckers fan. I think he'll be a really good quarterback in two years or a year and a half. Yeah. Not right now. That was pretty dire. And you looked at that saying, if you have to make Hunter Deckers throw because they're down 21 to 8 for the whole second half, you feel pretty good about that and your defense's ability to tee off on that. We'll talk about the defensive line later because I have a lot to say about those guys. <laughs> um, so for you then at halftime, what was the vibe like for you? Obviously, I'm sitting in the press box talking to people, chatting with some Iowa State folks. And you know, the vibe with, around the Iowa State riders was, man, that was a bad half of football from Iowa State. And I think that they kind of had the same feeling that, man, this is a game that if Iowa State doesn't get it corrected, could get out of hand. Yeah, and I think the flip side of that is is looking at it from the Kansas side, you felt like it should be out of hand, For right? Sure. And, and I'm not saying that you know Kansas should have had 35 points or anything like that, but I am saying you're looking at 14-8 at that point if you're Kansas as a missed opportunity because yeah. you feel like you outplayed Iowa State to, to such an extent. And, and it's funny, I feel like every single week – and you – We'll talk about the defense, and the defense was terrific. Uh, but every single week we talk about explosive plays, right? Mm -hmm. And and that was the thing with, with the Cyclones was Kansas defended so well, and it looked like potentially was going to even head into half with a shutout. You allow the big throw, you know, the big explosive play that gets Iowa State right down there and gives them a chance to, to – take a serious bite out of that lead. And so I think that, you know, from a Kansas standpoint, you're still leading, but you felt like, okay, I don't like the way that half ended. And I don't like the fact that Iowa state is still here and not multiple scores back. Yep. And Kansas was getting the ball to, to start the second half. So you felt good about that part, but generally speaking, you felt kind of like, okay, Kansas is potentially, in a danger zone here, in a different way than Iowa State. Like you said, if you're Iowa State, you look at that first drive of the second half is really important because if Kansas goes down and scores a touchdown, it's 21-8. to eight. 
not that you're behind the eight ball, but you haven't moved the ball well, you're you're in a real dangerous spot. Yeah. But from Kansas's standpoint, you're up 14 to eight. If you don't do anything with that first drive and you're punting the ball back to Iowa State, all of a sudden you're saying, we're one play away from trailing this game that we have outplayed this other team in. And so I do think that from Kansas's standpoint at halftime, you're feeling, you know, Iowa State's is almost like, woo, that was a bad half, but we're still there. Kansas's standpoint is that was a good half, but they're still there. Yeah. Not perfect also, right? You know, you look at it, it wasn't perfect. And that's the thing that was also kind of encouraging because I think the offense kind of has been pretty close to perfect most of the season, right? The Duke game, you know, a little hit or miss at times, but let me get in the second half. And I wish I maybe pounded the table harder during the game on this, but, you know, John Haycock, the defensive coordinator for Iowa State, is incredibly smart. Yes. You spend time around that program, and I think you learn – how he approaches a game where there's a feeling out process. It's kind of like a, it's kind of like boxing where, you know, you watch like a title fight in the first couple of rounds. It's not the guys throwing haymakers at each other. It's a lot of kind of feeling each other out, kind of get the jab going and that, and that's what John Haycock does in the first half and really the first quarter of games. And what I thought you saw in the second half is classic Iowa state football. Real, they make really good adjustments. You know, KU I thought had some success with some of the option stuff and some of the design runs and, all of a sudden, the second half, that was not there. And I think that's a credit to Iowa State. We'll talk about more KU stuff in a second, but that's what I expected. I expected Iowa State to be better in the second half defensively because that's who they are as a team. Now, what I didn't expect was that from KU yeah. offensively, right? You look at the, the, the numbers. They ran 20 total plays in the second half. 20. That's it. Yeah. Iowa State ran 42, and KU averaged 2.2 yards per play. That's awful, awful. So I'm curious for you, Kevin. I've I've seen a lot of the discourse about this, and we'll we'll do some more big-picture offense stuff after, but what do you think of the play calling? Because I saw some folks maybe weren't overly thrilled with that. What do you think about it? Sure. I I did think that there were parts – where it seemed like Kansas went conservative. And you look at when you're facing, you know, third and long and you have Jason Bean carry the ball, you know, when Jalen Daniels, you know, and I'm not saying Jalen threw the ball well against Iowa State. He would tell you he didn't throw the ball well against Iowa State. But with the way he's thrown the ball this year, third and 10, third and 12, that's not an auto punt. That's that's a pretty, you know, that's a pretty convertible down with with the way that he's played. And so to take the ball out of his hands in those situations, I thought was maybe a little bit conservative. Now, I will Mm -hmm. say something that that you saw after the game where Lance Leipold talked about, well, Jalen missed some reads. He was trying to do too much. And that wasn't just in the passing game. And I think it's important to note that when we're talking about Kansas going conservative because Mm – it looks conservative when you run the ball and you get stopped for no gain or for yeah. a two-yard gain. It doesn't look conservative when you make the right read and a guy breaks something for 15 yards. And, and I think it, I think as much as we were looking at it in real time and saying, my gosh, why is Kansas running the ball? I think there were some openings and some plays that maybe they left on the field there that had those played out, had the right read been made, you even look into the passing game, Quentin Skinner is running wide open for for a touchdown. And it feels like Jalen has hit all of those. And like you you were saying, you know, it does feel to some extent like Kansas has been perfect in previous games because Jalen hasn't typically missed throws like that. But if you change a few of the run game reads around, where all of a sudden those are a little more successful. Mm-hmm. And because you're getting more first downs, you're getting more plays. You don't only have 20 plays. If Jalen hits Quentin Skinner on that ball, I think a lot of the criticism goes away, or, or at least is is different. I don't think you feel like Kansas was as conservative as it looked like on, on first watch. And, and so yeah. – I think that's kind of what I took away from it. What, what did you think about play calling it, and what did you see? KU's had a lot of success with a specific identity 
so far this yep. season, right? It's been some of the option stuff. It's keeping defenses off balance. And a part of that has been getting in really good third and manageable situations, sure. really good third and manageable. And so I look at the play calling and I didn't think it was any different than any other game. I don't think it's one of these deals where all of a sudden KU changed the way it approached things. They approached it the same way. They just played a better defense. And it's a defense that had better individual players to make plays, right? The good here, Here's a really good example that I think of when I think about this game. There's that run Jason Bean had to the right when um, on the TV screen, you're going right to left. And so it goes to the far sideline and it's like a third and eight, maybe. And he, yeah. you're thinking, okay, they're going to run the ball with Bean to the outside. And Colby Reader, the, the, the linebacker for Iowa State, just makes a really good play. Yeah. You can't, you got to just got to kind of hang your hat, right? Earlier in the season against Duke, against West Virginia, against Houston, Jason Bean probably gets to the edge. And all of a sudden, now you're looking at a fourth and one, not a fourth and four or whatever it was in the end. And so I look at the play calling and I just don't think it's that, not that different than what we've seen from them in the past. And I just can't, I can't get up in arms about it, right? You can't kind of have it one way and then all of a sudden expect it to be another way. So I look at it that way and I just can't get super up in arms about it. You know, was KU conservative on fourth down? Sure. Yeah, they were, but they also played the field position battle. And so if you want to do that, right, you look at kind of the overall drives for KU and they, they certainly won the field position battle, right? They start on average at their own 37. Iowa state starts on average on their own 26, but you pinned Iowa state inside the 20 on four occasions. So, I mean, overall, I'm kind of like, you know, you you made Iowa State go the long way. And so I, it's just hard for me to get super upset about it or be like, oh, Andy Kornick, you really messed this up. It's kind of like you just played a better defense, and that's okay. And I think you look at the third downs too, right? For a lot of the year, it's been third and three, third and two. Yep. You know, on average against Iowa State, they had 10 third downs, and it was an average gain of seven yards to go that's a lot harder of a situation it's a lot harder to call plays on the reverse right we've heard brian borland talk about this a bunch as a defensive coordinator it's really hard to call plays when it's third one third and two third and yeah. three it's really easy to call plays when it's third and seven and more and so i think you just saw the, the kind of the flip side of that where ku was able to keep iowa state at third and long but on the other side they really couldn't get out of third and long yeah and we we talked you know coaches talk a lot about teaching tape Right. Like it basically that's a nice way to say that you didn't do what you were supposed to do. And because of that, you know, there's it, it's tape to teach off of. And I think when we watched the Tennessee Tech game, one of the things that we had said was there were plays that Kansas made in this game that it made because Kansas was playing against Tennessee Tech. Right. You didn't have to be perfect. Your helmet didn't have to be in the exact right spot when you were blocking somebody to get the right angle. You didn't have to attack this leverage the exact right way in order for it to work. Against Iowa State or a defense like that, and you know, I'm not saying Iowa State is Georgia, but against teams like Georgia or teams that have really good defenses, yeah. you have to be perfect. You have to make that block with the right angle. And if one guy doesn't do his assignment correctly, if he misses even a little bit, that's where you can see Will McDonald all of a sudden beating a guy because Will McDonald is really, really good. And yeah. and, and so I, I think that, that your point about the defense is really apt. And, and I thought, you know, the term genius gets thrown around too often in coaching circles, but Haycock is a really smart guy. And you talk to, to Brent Venables, who's one of the best defensive minds in, in college football. Mm -hmm. And even Venables said at Big 12 Media Days, and I know you were there for that, that he had the number one defense in the country at Clemson. And he went and watched Iowa wow. State for how to defend the spread. And the very next year, they had, I think, a top five defense again. Yeah. I think they were number three. But, but anyways, like when – Clemson, which is winning national titles and, and has all that talent, and Clemson's defensive coordinator says, "Now wait a minute, like this guy's doing it better than we are." Yeah, like, like that. That has to tell you something. And so I thought Haycock did a nice job of, of kind of showing Jalen some different things that maybe he hadn't seen that that mess with those reads. I thought even beyond that, 
you know, Iowa State's got some really good defensive players, and and, and they're going to be a fun team going forward. I, you know, I know you and I have talked about it. They've got a lot of young talent exactly. in Ames, especially on that defense, and and those guys are going to start rotating through a little bit more. And so Iowa State getting them, in, you know, on October first is probably a little bit better than getting them on November twenty third or, or whatever. And, and so I do think you know, a lot of the stuff that you were talking about, you have to be more precise when you're playing a really good defense like that. And the things we were talking about, Jason Bean has, has the run in the first quarter. Jared Casey gets flagged for holding. I think it was a bad call, but, but I'm not, I'm not here to blame the refs. I'm just saying that would have made a first down, Kansas maybe scores a touchdown on that drive based on where the ball is. You get seven points. Mm-hmm. Quentin Skinner running all by himself. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, Everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Jalen Daniels misses that throw, seven points. All of a sudden, those are the plays that you didn't make for whatever reason, whether it's a call, whether it's, you know, you miss a pass, whether you miss a block by a little bit. If Kansas would have come out of that game yesterday with 28 points, I think all of us would have said, great, you you did your job against that Iowa State offense. You put yourself in a position to win by double digits. Yep. But that's how precise you have to be to score 28 instead of 14. And so I do think that I, I do think that there's a lot to be said for the fact that Kansas is just facing a really good defense. Exactly. And so I, well, I'll, I'll weave in a question here um, a little bit and, and we'll discuss it a tiny bit. But what, so like, what did Iowa State do differently? I just think they're better. <laughs> I think they're better coached. And so what I look at here with Iowa State, you look at – I think we talked – I talked with Nick Osen maybe on our preview podcast, but you look at their defense, right? Their three linebackers have all been in the program for multiple years, right? Colby Reader's a new transfer, but he's familiar with the defense and knew it going in. He's someone that I talked to during his recruitment, and he was like, yeah, I know the defense. So you're looking at the linebackers – and that's a crucial position against KU's offense, right? Because those linebackers have to be in the right spots to stop those option plays. And it yeah. seemed like they were. And then, okay, cool. Let's look at the defensive line. Great. You have Will McDonald, who could go down as the all-time sack leader in the Big 12, right? Then you've got a guy like Isaiah Lee, who's been in the program for a while. All right, cool. Let's go to the secondary. Well, their two corners are the two ta- most talented guys KU's gone up against all year. Go back to safety. You've got high-level true freshmen. And that's the crazy part about yeah. Iowa State right now. I've got a lot of true freshmen, a lot of guys that I know because I cover their recruitments and all of a sudden I hear their name called and you're like, wait, what? This true <laughs> freshman's playing, you know? And so it's just like that where they've got young guys that are talented and they're well coached and it's just different. You know, we've talked about on the podcast, right? Houston was not disciplined. West Virginia's secondary was atrocious. Duke was the more disciplined, but had less of a talent in terms yeah. of the defense. So this is just the best test KU has played so far. And they just weren't that sharp and it's fine. I, you know, it's one, we'll hit on the long-term stuff in a, later at the end of the podcast. But for right now, what did Iowa State do differently? It's a tough defense to go against. They played really well and they're just well coached. And so I don't think this is anything where it's like Iowa State, you know, they have the playbook to stop Kansas. No, because not everyone has a, the dudes that Iowa State has and yeah. the dudes that are coaching those players too. And so that, for me, it's not necessarily a what did they do differently scheme-wise. It's just kind of a you, you encapsulate it all together. And I think you, you, you saw KU not execute 
right? Be a step off for the first time this season, but also just going against a much better team than they've played so far this year. Yeah, I, I think when you look across the Big 12, the only other defense that presents similar problems, and I'm not saying it's the other best defense, but the one that that plays similar stylistically, you know, and has has some of the same issues is Baylor. Mm-hmm. And, and when you and so when you're pointing to this and saying, well, this means when KU plays better defenses, they won't be able to do. No, I don't. I don't think that that's fair because I think that. One of the things Iowa State does so well is they make it really hard for your five offensive linemen to block their three defensive linemen. Exactly. And that frees up the other eight guys to do whatever Haycock wants them to do, whether that's you know being in the right position for option stuff like you were talking about, whether that's dropping eight, whether that's sending an exotic blitz because you can't tell where those guys are coming from. They start with those three up front, and that's the base. And they can eat up your blockers, and they can beat your blockers with those three. And, and like I said, I think you know Baylor is another three-man front that presents some similar challenges. But I think other than that, you look across the Big 12, and not that there aren't other good defenses, but the one that's most like maybe what Iowa State could present would be Baylor. And, and you're, you're just not going to face that very often. And, and so I do think that – when you add in, you know, Haycock and Dave Aranda, you know, two of the best defensive minds in, in the conference. Baylor's maybe the the other team that you would look at on Kansas's schedule and say, okay, this is going to be the team that's maybe going to be able to tap into some of the same things that Iowa State did. Other than that, I mean, Iowa State entered the game as, as the Big 12's best defense for a reason. And I don't know if they're going to finish the year as the best defense, but they're going to be up near the top. I would almost guarantee. I mean, they're, they're good from a personnel standpoint. Like you were saying, they have guys who are still getting experience. So they're, they're going to be better later in the year. Mm -hmm. And and even so, you know, I, I think watching that defense yesterday, I think I saw five or so guys who popped as possible, all big 12 guys, this year and, yeah. and i just don't think there are a lot of teams that that bring sort of that package to bear no not at all all right so let's go to defense now um I, I, i'm gonna try not to get too fired up talk about this but the the defensive line yeah was awesome it was that was as dominant a performance from a defensive line that KU's had in I think as long as I can remember, I just Iowa State's offensive line is not bad. You look at the three interior guys, they're three starters, and three guys that are guys that are multi-year starters, and guys that would start at other programs. Um, I think the right tackle had a bad day, but that offensive line is good. And you saw KU's defensive tackles, defensive ends, go out there and kick tail for four quarters. It was nonstop, nonstop. You saw the rotation. You saw different guys come in, and it did not matter. Tommy Dunn came in and, and literally knocked a guy off, off the ball as yep. soon as he came in. And it's like, okay, this is a redshirt freshman who's doing this against Daryl Simmons, who's a multi-year starter for Iowa State. And it, it just is so cool to see that you go back to the start of the season. What were we worried about? The pass rush. Who else can create pressure other than Lonnie Phelps? You look at the first couple of weeks, what we talk about, they got it at times, right? Against West Virginia and Houston, they got pressure at times, but it wasn't great. And then there wasn't a ton against Duke. And then you go this time and you look at the pressure numbers and Hunter Deckers was pressured once every four dropbacks. Like yeah. it's just impressive. And so I look at that unit and I think that's where the defensive performance started because if Hunter Deckers had time to drop back and survey the field and, see everything and, and make plays, he would have made plays because I think Iowa State's wide receivers were able to get open. You saw that with Hutchinson and Staley um, that they were able to get open and make catches. And so I just, it, it's just cool to see the coaching over the course of weeks show itself in a game because how often has that, that been the case? It's not like how many years has it been for KU where there's an issue in week one and it's still an issue in week 12. And there are other issues with the defense, sure. But this is one that they have now progressed week over week and gotten better and better and better. Shout out to Sam Burt, too. One and a half sacks. 
his first career sacks. The dude's been, he's a super senior and he just got his first career sacks. I think you look at Taiwo and Atolu, you look at Brian Borland, you look at Jim Panagos, those three guys deserve a ton of credit for what they've done with this defensive line to where you can go and pressure Hunter Eckers on 14 of his uh, whatever dropbacks. I think it's 54 dropbacks. Um, and they got a total pressure number of even more than that. So I just think the defensive performance, if we're going to talk about it, it starts right there. Yeah, I think so. And when you look at how DJ Withers played against Duke yeah. and Tommy Dunn now, that's a pretty exciting young position group all of a sudden for Kansas. And I know we talked about that before the season even started where we said it'll be really interesting when these guys start rotating in because, you know, even uh, even Quan Drake, you know, before he left had said, you know, I'm very interested to see how these guys start to pan out. And you're starting to see them rotate through it and you're seeing less and less, like you were saying, of a drop-off between the top guys and, and when they bring in a DJ Withers or or, uh, or a Tommy Dunn. I look at it this way too. I think that was Lonnie Phelps's best game as a Jayhawk. Mm. When you when you look at adjusting for competition, obviously Tennessee Tech, he was living in the backfield, but you know, it was Tennessee Tech. But adjusting for competition, I thought that was Lonnie Phelps's best game of his career. Sam Burt, you said was a super senior. I think he's like a super duper 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 senior. Like he's he, been, you know, he was on that 2007 team, so <laughs> <laughs> uh, he, he hasn't quite been there that long. But but it was the best game of his career, and I, I'm not sure it's entirely close. And yet, you look at you know Malcolm Lee had some great moments. Jeremy Robinson Jeremy had Robinson. some great moments. Caleb Sampson had some great moments. And every time it seemed like Kansas got initial pressure and forced Deckers to move, there was a second guy there. And that's what we were talking about before the season started, was we said, Lonnie Phelps is really good. He is a proven player on college football Saturdays. He is going to generate pressure. But if he's the only one, and that was what we saw last year with Kyron Johnson, Kyron Johnson would dust an offensive tackle, and there wouldn't be anybody to clean up the play. Mm. And how many times yesterday – was it not the first guy that got the sack or got the quarterback hit or whatever? It was somebody chasing Hunter Deckers into somebody else who had also beaten their block. It was really encouraging to watch. And the other thing that I would say, too, defensively as a whole, but also looking at the defensive line and the pressure, not everybody's a big fan of pro football focus, but one of the things that they look at are turnover-worthy plays. And while Deckers had the one interception, he had the other interception that um, came out on the ground. Michael, there were maybe five or six other throws that were turnover-worthy throws where he was pressured into making a quick decision, getting the ball out, whatever, and the DB didn't see the ball, the mm -hmm. DB didn't quite get there quick enough, you know, whatever reason, you know, you're looking at a potential turnover, and, and – looking at that part of it and the field position battle that you were talking about, I'm sure that at some point Kansas felt like, Hey, if we pin Iowa state deep, they're not going to drive the length of the field on us. And we might be able to generate a turnover because of all these turnover worthy plays that are yep. happening. Kansas was unlucky to only have the one interception because that was a game when you look at the throws the Deckers made, Kansas could have come away with four or so interceptions in that game without too much imagination. And, and I think that that all again goes back to that defensive line group. I mean, it was just a marvelous, marvelous performance. Yep. And turnover worthy plays, Deckers had five. Yep. Five. And that's including the interception. So you are right. They could have gotten. You know, okay, you're, you're not going to get all, you know, you're never going to intercept sure. every interceptable ball that you ever get. But, you know, that was impressive. And so I think, too, well, let's talk about the linebackers because obviously there's yeah. some news here. Gavin Potter is no longer with the team. Um, not super surprising, if I'm being honest here. Um, you look at his role on the team compared to what it was last year, right? Last year, he was one of the guys that played the most snaps. All of a sudden, they bring in a bunch of new transfers. Um, Potter was playing, right? You saw him on defense. Yeah. He was out there and but the four game rule and it makes sense, right? Players have every right to think about their best interests and that is a okay. 
So he's played in four games. Uh, if he decides to transfer and continue to play college football, he will have two seasons of eligibility remaining. I thought it was interesting what KU did in his absence because he was backing up Craig Young at that Hawk position. Uh, what they did instead was they moved Tyler Barry Hill from the weak side linebacker spot. They moved him to Hawk. And then they had Lorenzo McCaskill come in and play the well linebacker position. And this again goes back to the depth. You've got a guy that is a multi-year starter at Louisiana has played over a thousand college football snaps. He is the first guy off the bench for you, Kansas. That's big. And I thought that was really fascinating the way they approached it because Craig Young has played a lot of snaps this year. Yeah. He's consistently in the top three or four, right? It's usually kind of the, the, the two cornerbacks, and then it's kind of Craig and then Kenny when he's been he- more healthy. He's been banged up a little bit. Um, yeah. And so I just look at the linebackers as a whole. I thought it was interesting how they rotated him. I thought those guys played really well and tackled really well overall. Obviously, Town Berryhill got another sack on Saturday yeah. as well. And so I guess I'll let you kind of move wherever you want to go, Kevin. Is it linebackers? Is it defensive backs? Like what else on defense stood out to you? Because I think we can talk about every level. Yeah, I thought I, I thought bringing up the linebackers was was great. You know, Taiwan Berryhill has come so far over his time at Kansas, but even beyond that, Taiwan Berryhill has come so far over the last year. He is a guy that has really thrived under this Leifold staff, and it feels like game after game you're continuing to see him get better. And some of that comes with confidence, you know, and everything else. But he's. Uh, he he's looking terrific out there. It cracked me up because coming out of the Tennessee tech game, and I know we keep bringing that up, but it's the opener. And so we're saying where we were from, from there. Exactly. Kansas put Craig young in some really tough spots in the first few games. And Mm -hmm. we talked about that and how Kansas was asking him to do an awful lot. Craig young did an awful lot against Iowa state and he did it well. And those were things that maybe in the first few games you watched it and you said, gosh, like they're asking him to, to do a lot. I remember seeing him in coverage on a wide receiver on the sideline at one point where he was the primary coverage guy. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, he's proven to be a really good blitzer and, and pass rusher with his athleticism. And, and so when you look at and all the different things that they're asking him to do, it seems like week by week now your return on Craig Young is starting to get bigger and bigger. Also, you know, the the cornerbacks, I, th- I thought they played well physically. I did think, you know, it, and that was a, a major question. Um, but in terms of how big certain plays were, how about Kenny Logan breaking up the pass in, in the end zone? I mean, that was, that was just a – a humongous play and it feels like like you said kenny's been a little bit banged up but mm-hmm. it feels like he's maybe starting to assert himself and show a little bit more week to week now too and to have that level player on the back end really really helps i think cornerback is still probably if you were to say this defense has a weak spot i think you would look at cornerback um but I think safety, they've got a few different guys that they like there, and, and the linebacker group is just getting better week by week. But, but again, I, I hate to you know just roll everything back, but the defensive line, just if it plays like that, then even if the offense isn't perfect, it's going to give Kansas a chance to win. Exactly. Again, where does it, where does it start? It starts with stopping the run, and they only yeah. allowed – one, you did your you did your five earlier. I've got one for you. <laughs> one explosive run all game. Yeah, that's all you can ask for, right? If you're gonna yeah. stop the run, make teams one dimensional, and you can kind of scheme around it and try and give those cornerbacks some more help. So, I think overall, you look at this game and KU didn't play its best game, yeah. and we still we still keep saying that they're five and zero, and they've still not played their best. It, game it, it was probably let's just put this out there. It was probably Kansas's worst game of the year. Yeah, and it was Kansas's worst game of the year against arguably the best team. Best team that Kansas has played all year, and Kansas still found a way to win the football game. And so, uh, I think you know, <laughs> it, it was uh, it was touch and go for sure. But yeah, uh, but yeah, I mean. Kudos to them for finding a way. I mean, they don't they don't give wins back. They don't take mm-hmm. them away because they're ugly. And so, 
if you can find a way to win when you're not at your best, then, then that's, that's certainly a good sign moving forward. And I'll tell you who does give wins away, Matt Campbell. <laughs> like, you look at the, his record in one-score games, yeah. Iowa State has a terrible – so that 2020 season when Iowa State made the Big 12 title game, they won a lot of one-score games. Yeah. Um, and then they blew teams out at the end of the year because they kind of were more dominant kind of teams stopped playing because COVID. Um, they've been so awful on that. And that fourth down decision to not go for it on fourth and inches or whatever it was, fourth and one, to try out the kicker that had already hit. He doinked – like I yep. tweeted that today, right? There's a, a double doink in the NFL this morning. Yeah. And what's more impressive, a double doink on one kick or hitting both uprights on separate kicks in the yep. same game? Going different direct, going different directions. Yeah. I mean, it, it's just, and, and you know, oh. I, I agree with you. And, and in that case, you know, friend of the show, I guess we would call him Scott Chasen. You know, one of the things that that he had said was that he tweeted out was about the win probability, right? Mm. Because if you kick the field goal and you make it, you're still tied. Yeah, overtime. Kansas still has a chance to potentially win it in regulation. True. And Kansas can still win it in overtime. Whereas if you go for it and you get it, you've got a chance to win in regulation, take things out of Kansas's hands. I, I thought that was not a great decision, especially, you know, even before the benefit of hindsight, especially with, you know, the whole hashtag college kickers, you know, that- deal. But, but at the same time, like, now streaming on Paramount Plus. Gather your besties. We are very exclusive. And get ready. Mom, go make snacks. For sure, Regina. Yeah. For the movie that hits like a bus in a good way. No one dies. Mean Girls. Made at PG 13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Spring training is in full swing and fantasy baseball draft season is upon us. That means you need to join us on Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every Monday through Saturday for six pods per week throughout the month of March. We'll break down the latest news, spring training updates, players to target, and much more in just five minutes. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. That kid did not look like he wanted to take that that kick, Michael. He's a like, freshman. He he is a he is a freshman, but I mean, even trotting out there, I I was watching the game with my wife, and I said I was like, he's he's gonna miss this, you know. You just you you just looked at it, and and he didn't look like he wanted to be out there. I am interested. Um, I got to ask you a question. Hmm. Did Kansas touch the kick? Because there's there's some people wondering based on you know, to use a, a line from the movie Major League, the, the trajectory of the ball, it comes up and then it kind of sputters out and goes down. It was a shank. It, it could be that he just shanked it that badly, or it could be that maybe somebody got a finger on I know somebody tweeted, and I, I'm sorry that I'm not putting your Twitter name up here because I, I would love to give you, give you credit for it because I think it's an interesting theory. Somebody who was at the game, said that they thought they heard the sound of somebody's hand hitting the ball after it was kicked. So I don't know if it was blocked or not. I was asking, the reason I was asking you is you being there in the post game, nobody mentioned that, right? Like nobody said like, oh yeah, well I, I blocked that. Or the coaches said, Hey, that was blocked. They, they just said it was missed. Right. Yeah. And so I love that you mentioned that because I talked to Rich Miller about it and, and Rich was on, on the field for that play he didn't mention that he thought it got blocked. What he said yeah. was he knew that all game that again, we're going to go back to the defensive line here. Those guys up front were getting a huge push. And yeah. I think you've seen that all season from that special teams. And again, we're talking about special teams being a plus for Kansas. Right. And, and that's huge. You won this game basically on special teams, right? There's the muff punt. There's the, um, the kick return from Sevion Morrison, you know, yeah. there's this as well. And so, the special teams are good, and I think that those guys got to push up front. I didn't see if it got tipped. The official stats, I just pulled it up, doesn't list it as being tipped. But yeah. if someone there in the stadium says they saw it got tipped, I, I'm i in the press box. Like oh, My angle is not the best on that. And sure. I haven't seen a TV angle yet that makes me feel that way. But that's It might have just been that it was shanked. But I know Sam Burt got a really big push on that play. And oh, I think God. it was Jeremy Robinson – I'm not saying he touched it, but his hand was right about in the path of where the ball seemed like it was starting. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of spun out and one went the other way. So 
yeah. I'm interested to see because obviously we, you know, we don't get the best view on TV. We're stuck on whatever they show, and, and it it might have been that that he just, you know, absolutely shanked the the heck out of it. This is a family show, but um, but at the same time, I did think that was an interesting theory, and I thought it was interesting that the guy said being in the stadium, you know, he thought he heard contact on the ball hmm. when when it was right after it was kicked. So kind of a, kind of a fun little, little deal, but no, I mean, I, I didn't even, when I first watched it, I was just like, I can't believe how badly he shanked that. You feel bad for him. That's all I gotta say. He's a freshman. Like, I mean, yeah, that's one of the things that Iowa state should got on transfer, but we're not an Iowa state podcast as we've said. Okay. Question time. (laughs) Um, We've answered one of them before. This is more fun stuff. Um, I think we've talked enough about just the game itself and and what it means. Uh, Let's start here. I thought it was really good from Frank Saunders on Twitter. Um, pick one player from the last 13 years who deserves to reap the rewards in 2022. Um, you can go first because I'll do the next one. Okay. So as much as selfishly, I would love to see Puka Williams running the ball behind an offensive line that would block for him. <laughs> um, I, I think, I think the answer is probably somewhere on defense um, and, and I, I really looked, I looked at offense too. Tony Pearson was, I was a thought that I had just because I think Andy Kotelnicki would love to have a back running four three that he could, you know, give the ball to on jet sweeps and, you know, run in different motions and, and do all sorts of things like that. If he felt like the receiver core could add somebody like Steven Sims, obviously that would be a, a big deal. Steven Sims was, was open quite a bit. Um, I looked a lot at Dorrance Armstrong because mm-hmm. I said, you know, if you've got Lonnie Phelps on one side and you've got Dorrance Armstrong, you know, as a first team all big 12 pass rusher on the yeah. other side, you're, you're cooking. I mean, people are going to be in trouble. I also looked at Daniel Wise because I said, if you put Daniel Wise next to Caleb Sampson, you're, you're again, looking at something where you've got potentially two all big 12 defensive tackles at the same time, I think that group has played so well. And I think the defensive ends are starting to come on. And so the guy that I ultimately settled on, most people would say, this is not the best player. And I know you're going to talk about a couple guys who, who uh-huh. got all big 12 mention and, and everything else. Ja'Cory Shepard, I think is the guy that I would have picked as a cover corner. You know, he was terrific. Technically speaking, if we're being honest, Chris Harris does fall into. So you could take <laughs> Chris Harris. I thought if they had Chris Harris, as good as oh. Chris Harris was at Kansas, I didn't think he was quite as good as like a number one corner in college. I thought that he really did a great job in, in the pros of, of kind of finding his role. Ja'Cory Shepard was a number one corner and was really good at it and was – a guy that had the hips that he could play physically if he needed to. He was somebody that could run with fast receivers down the field. And so I think to give Kansas sort of a cornerback one like that, Ja'Cory Shepard w- would be my pick. After after naming off like eight different guys, Ja'Cory Shepard w- would be my pick. How about you? Uh, it's one guy. It's Joe Deneen. It's yeah. Joe Deneen. I think you look at him, Lawrence native, really – bled for the team, carried the defense. Like, he led the NCAA in tackles, and I think he almost did it back-to-back season. I can't remember the, the second year. Um, I just – I look at him and I, I say, that's the guy that dealt with yeah. all the crap and had to go through it. And I'll, I'll never – this is one of my memories of, of talking to Joe after games. There was that Iowa State game in 2018. I think it might have been senior day there are barely any KU fans there and I don't blame them. Right. I think we've talked about this before. Like yeah. I don't blame fans that don't show up for bad football and incompetent football. I don't blame them. Um, but it was all Iowa state fans. It was all Iowa state fans. And I remember yeah. Joe sitting there after the game and you could just tell how much that pissed him off and how yeah. much that upset him as someone that's a, a, a local guy that carried the defense to have something like that. And I can't remember if it was senior day. Maybe I'm wrong, but I just that was one of those moments where you're like, man, the, the player deserves better. And so that's what's really stuck with me. Um, 
thinking, you know, obviously my frame of reference is, is a little more short term. Um, I would say Hakeem Adenji too, honestly, because yeah. I'm, you know, yeah. He was he, really he would have been terrific. Like and, and it, you put him, like you know, I like he, he was good anyway, but he would have been terrific in this system. And yeah, and like I like Cavalry, and Cavalry's good. But yeah. all of a sudden, if you're looking, at, you know, you put all Urbosca right tackle, and you've got Kima left tackle. All yeah. of a sudden, you're looking at two tackles that are like, you know, top half of the Big Twelve. I mean, dang, Akeem was the starting guard on a team that went to the Super Bowl. Like, I mean, it's just impressive. And so I think that. Hakeem's another one of those guys that was always so – you could tell how much key meant to him. And I think yeah. that's what I think of when I think of these guys. It's the guys who you could tell that the school the school pride meant a lot. It would be cool to see them reap the rewards of, of the, the field being stormed for a second straight week or um, going on an ESPN interview on SportsCenter, right? Obviously, Jalen Daniels is the guy that's been doing that. But if you got a star guy like Hakeem or a guy like Joe – who are really good faces of your program, you know, he could be out there doing it too. So I think those are the two that I go with. All right. So l- let's move on. Um, why is Kansas not going to lose the final seven like the last five and oh Kansas team did? I'll tell you what, don't look at the schedule. <laughs> the schedule, <laughs> your, your games are getting tougher. Um, why won't they? Uh, because I do think the offense is legit and you're not playing Iowa State every week. I think Iowa State is is kind of the kryptonite almost for what Kansas is as a team. You just look at them controlling the clock, controlling the ball. They have the defense to do so. And I just look at the rest of the Big 12, like TCU can't do that. Um, Texas can't do that. Texas Tech can't do that. Kansas State can't do that. And so right there, those are the games that I look at as being kind of your winnable games to get you to bowl eligibility. You know, I do think some losses are coming. They, it just is going to happen um but i'll tell you what oklahoma doesn't scare you as much as it did when you're looking at it on paper at the beginning of the season um texas is the same you know they're so hot and cold and just who the heck knows what version of that team is going to show up i still have the belief that's probably a, a loss but still i just think that this is a team that with the offense that they have is just going to keep them in games and uh, we keep talking about coin flip games and coin flip moments on this podcast and and Saturday against Iowa State was exactly that. It was a game with just a ton of coin flips. And more of the flips went Kansas' way than Iowa State's way. And with the offense KU has, there will be more and more times throughout the season when that happens. And I, I guarantee you once they will get the coin flips, if not two or more times. What do you think? Yeah, I'm actually going to approach this from the other angle because I covered the 2019. And, I think, and so I think one of the things that – that people forget is disaster just struck with that team. You know, Jake Sharp had a really hot start to the year and I think he broke his leg. I mean, he missed like a really significant portion of the year. Um, So that was a problem. The sixth game, I believe the first loss out of that group was at Colorado and about five things had to go wrong for Kansas to lose that game, including but not limited to Kansas threw the game-winning touchdown and got hit on like a pick play call that was a really like not, not a great call. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was one loss. Then Todd Reesing, you know, pulls his groin. And so all of a sudden, not only do you not have potentially an all-big 12 running back in Jake Sharp, your quarterback is playing with a groin injury. So you're not running the ball as effectively. Your quarterback isn't really able to be himself in, in the ways that Todd Reesing was, was able to be And credit to Todd. I mean, I, I've read his book. I've talked to him once or twice since he played and he never blamed the groin injury for his issues, but it was apparent for anybody cool. who saw it. And then you add in the last part of that, which was, the accusations against Mark Mangino that came out as the season was still going on the, you know, is Mark Mangino in trouble? You know, what are, what are the players saying? What are they doing? Players having to answer those questions at press conferences and things like that. And so it was kind of a perfect storm to go from five and zero to zero and seven over the last, uh, over the last few games. And so, I guess when looking at this year's team, now I tweeted out 
um, there's nothing more dangerous in this world than a group of 18 to 22 year olds with confidence. Yes. And, and Kansas has a lot of confidence right now. And so you can't go into that locker room and tell them, gosh, guys, I don't know if you're going to beat TCU. No, those, those guys are sitting there. They're thinking, they're thinking who's TC. Why wouldn't we beat TCU? Why wouldn't we beat Oklahoma? Why wouldn't we beat whoever else? And so I think in order to go from five and zero to zero and seven, like that 2009 team does, you have to kind of have lightning strike the same spot about five different times. And that mm. was what happened in that season. Whereas I think that the Kansas this year, like you said, the offense, I think is legitimate. I, I think Jalen had an off game. And I think that, Iowa State was able to challenge him in some ways that, that led to that. I'm not saying that it was independent of Iowa State, but I do think that Jalen's going to get back on track. I think that they're going to have other big offensive performances, and I think you've got a locker room that's really feeling confident right now, that they feel like they should be winning. And when you have all of those things, provided you don't have all of the different things that derailed that 2009 team and, you know, I'm knocking on wood to make sure, you know, that that stuff doesn't happen. But I don't see all of those things going wrong to where Kansas just all of a sudden falls apart at this point in the season. Yeah, exactly. I agree. I think it's a really good way to highlight it. All right. And last one, let's wrap it up here with this. Sure. Um, game day. Hot Ooh. topic. Who's going to be the guest picker? Um, I think there's a, a good group you could pick from. Um, I'll let you go first. It. So if I am the University of Kansas, if you put me in Travis Goff's shoes, and Travis, I hope you're watching, I I would go get Jason Sudeikis because I, I think the, the biggest thing out there right now is Ted Lasso. You know, you're you're in this, you know, situation where I, I think it could be really fun. You're in, you know, a place where college game day doesn't usually go, right? And so things are a little bit unorthodox. And if Jason Sudeikis were to show up and not just pick as Jason Sudeikis, but pick games as Ted Lasso as mm. an American football coach, you know, coaching European football, I think it would be really memorable. And I, I think that it would be really funny and, and great. I know, you know, Sudeikis wouldn't, if we were putting Las Vegas odds on this, I don't know that Sudeikis would be the favorite, even though, that would be, you know, who I would choose. Obviously, you know, you could go Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd's terrific. I'm guessing it's probably going to be Rob Riggle with how often Rob is is around it. And Rob's hysterical and, and great and all of those different things. But if if it were me with how popular Ted Lasso is with all of the different things there, like I said, I, I think there's a chance where if you could get Jason Sudeikis to come back and possibly – do it as Ted Lasso, I think it would make for a really memorable college game day experience. What do you think, Michael? That'd be a good bit. That'd be, that'd be an enjoyable bit. I'm going to go it the would. other way, actually. I'm going to say this. I don't have it be Bill Self. Um, yeah. I I just – I have a feeling. And that's, you know, they're coming out of a national title. I, I understand it if they go that way. But don't – Yeah. Let KU football be KU football. Sure. Right. Don't try and take away and say, hey, basketball got a national title. Yes, they did. And it's good for the program that they did, right? Exciting. It was great to cover. Let this moment in KU football history be KU football's moment. I that's my biggest thing that I I you know pick. I think you kind of name the options. I think it will be Rob Riggle. If you made me put down 20 bucks yep. in you know, in DraftKings or, or FanDuel or pick your or we're Caesars, Caesars Sportsbook, <laughs> online, whatever you there know, it's twenty four seven. I would put money on Riggle because he's around. He does a lot of this stuff in terms of being a front facing alumni. Alumni, um, I think it'll be him. But I'll tell you what, excited to cover it. I got to cover it at Iowa State last year, and it's a fun event to cover. Obviously, we'll have plenty of coverage of that all week. Um, as always. Thank you to everyone for listening to the Fog.net podcast. We always have a lot of fun with these Sunday shows. Um, stay tuned to the website all week. Plenty of content coming your way. I've got my 
kind of good, bad, and interesting story for VIP subscribers coming out. We'll have some recruiting updates as well this week, and there's just going to be a lot of stuff going on with game day. There's going to be some media availabilities that are extra, talking to some of those game day crew as well. So um, really exciting week ahead, and as always, I kind of – let's see if I can get this right this time. If you're listening on the podcast apps, head over to YouTube, The Fog. Make sure you subscribe and like, and you'll see the video content we're doing there. If you're watching this on YouTube – Head over to your podcast platform of choice and look up the Fog Dunnett podcast. Hit that subscribe button. You'll be alerted every time that we have an episode coming out. We'll have another midweek episode covering TCU, what to expect. But until then, have a good start to everyone's week. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Fantasy baseball draft season is upon us, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, six times per week throughout March. Sleepers, breakouts, busts, live mock drafts, spring training updates, and everything in between every Monday through Saturday. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.